0: My name is John Muffler. If you don't know me, you're blessed. Um, I am the high school minister over at Sherwood Oaks Christian Church East. Um, It is wonderful to be here. I'm grateful for the opportunity to be a part of one church with different locations. And I can say this, Westside, you looking good, nice. Happy Father's Day. This is a good, man, I like this. This is neat. We should do this more often. Maybe next Sunday. Um, if, if, if your story's anything like mine, I'm going to steal a couple of chairs. If your story's anything like mine, I was not raised in a Christian home, um, and my zero to Christian was slow. Let me explain. Um, growing up in a house that parents basically taught me that, that God was invented to make sure that people didn't, you know, destroy, rape, and pillage each other, And it was kind of a fairy tale. Um, When I was in college, I started having different voices telling me different things. And and it took me a long time to go from somebody who thought Jesus was, eh, you know, make-believe, to somebody that was really trying to follow after Jesus, a disciple. And basically the word disciple is somebody who learns, who acts, who talks, and walks like Jesus. He is your teacher, he is my teacher, and we try to speak and act and have broken hearts the same way, the way Jesus does. Um, So college, I went from playing on a basketball team, not knowing Jesus, to understanding there is something important about Jesus maybe I don't understand or get. So I took that next step going from I don't believe in Jesus to maybe Jesus, okay, well, sure, let's investigate this. I was what we would call a seeker, somebody who was looking into and trying to figure out if these claims are true. Is there anything to this? And it took me a long time and a lot of questions, a lot of dragging my heels and then I decided, you know what, okay, so Jesus, I I don't get it all. I definitely don't get it all but Jesus is something and I need to pay attention to it and a a buddy of mine pointed to me and said, hey man, one of the first things a new believer in Christ does to show obedience is you should get baptized and I'm like, you want me to get wet? You want me to take a swim in a church pool? Okay. Why not? I can do that. And so I did that, and it took me a few more months, a few more years of dragging my heels of, okay, I'm baptized. I believe in Jesus. There's something important there, but I, uh, I'm not giving my life away. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to go to church. And I went from a non-Christian to a seeker to a churchgoer, and I stayed there for a while. I got stuck because I started going to church. I thought that was my responsibility. That's what all good Christians do is they read their Bible every once in a while, go to church every once in a while, have that warm fuzzy blanket that Jesus loves us. I had the opportunity to help lead at a church camp a bunch of kiddos, a bunch of 5th, 6th, 7th grade boys who didn't shower. (laughs) Still in my head the amount of Anyway, it doesn't matter. The amount of craziness that happened. And so when I was asked to lead people down a path that I've actually never walked down, I started to realize I need to kind of grow up. From a non Christian, somebody who was an outsider looking in and saying, eh, I'm good, no thanks. To a seeker of somebody saying, hey, just Jesus thing might be kind of a big deal. To a churchgoer who I was serving and trying to be a nice guy and watch my language and do nice things. Then I had to become, I was forced, really, and I'm glad God forced me because sometimes. I'm not focused. Um, God really pushed me in the situation where I had to lead others, and I, I couldn't do it without going down that road myself. So I had to become a disciple. I had to become a learner, A, to figure out what I believe, and B, so I could teach it, model it, share it. And that was difficult. And that process was painful, and it took years. What's your story? Because I bet you, you, and I probably share a few things. Matter of fact, there's something else that we have in common. I don't know what your story is, but I can guess that you are an imperfect person. My next guess is that since you're at church on Sunday, you're at least looking for answers. So somewhere in this great scheme of, ah, no thanks. No thanks, Jesus, too. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. My life, not my life anymore. I'm running after Jesus. You're here, and I'm grateful for that. I have good and bad news this morning. I'll start with the bad, because it gets better. Bad news, Romans 6:23. for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. We have earned death because we are imperfect people. We have looked at God and said, pass, I got this. I'm gonna live my own life, do my own thing. Matter of fact, Romans 8, 7 uh, through 8 says, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in this realm of flesh cannot please God. We are, are enemies of God. When we're over here as an outsider looking in, all my childhood growing up, me looking at Jesus saying, no thanks, I'm good, Eh, I don't know, maybe it's a fairy tale. Scripture really points out that I am an enemy. I can't even possibly please God. You and I are sinners by choice and that makes us enemies and spiritually dead. Americans, we have this idea that if something is wrong, we can just try Harder. I grew up in this in a family that said, you know what, if you're not good at something, what do you do? You practice it. I teach my kids that. If you're not very good at riding uh, your bike with training wheels, you've got to keep at it. You gotta keep getting on, you gotta keep getting on. We have this mentality, this idea of I can work myself through this. I can just try harder. Being spiritually dead, we are not in the position to change anything. When God says we're enemies, when God says we are dead because of our sin, we are spiritually a goner. The dead do not move. Our reactions might be to read the Bible more, pray more, you know, show up to church and feel good. Being spiritually dead needs more than a turning over a new leaf. We need a new life. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. And here's the good news. I know, try to bum you out on a Sunday morning. You're goners. Here we go. Good news is this. Um, Jesus is is in the salvation business. He has challenged seekers to repent and believe in him. Ephesians 2, 4 through 6 says this, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercies, made us alive in Christ, even when we are dead in our transgressions. It is by grace we have been saved. The journey of becoming a true disciple of Jesus starts with the honest appreciation of how lost we truly are. We are alone, we are helpless, we are unable to save ourselves. So the word picture in my head, when I, when I say the word lost or helpless, somebody put it in there. Imagine yourself on, um, you know those little ski belts? Anybody ski behind a boat, anybody? Mm, cool, maybe not. Picture yourself in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, nobody's looking for you, and you've got a, sea, uh, a ski belt. It'll keep you up for a while. Not long, on your own strength. It's just not gonna happen. This morning, we're looking at how discipleship is a process that we all have been called to. I'm going to use some chairs on stage, um, and I'm putting them like this in a row, um, to talk about the idea that discipleship is a process. Wherever you're at, if you're at zero or discipleship or anything in between, we're basically going to break this down into three chairs. We're going to talk about them real quick, and what I want you to think through this as we talk about this is, A, what chair are you in, and what are you doing with the other chairs? Two things I want you to answer in your head while we listen. Um, Chair one is a representation of those who are on the outside looking in. John Muffler, growing up, had no idea. Church was something cool like, you know, Shriners, I wanna, just a good group of people trying to do good in the neighborhood. These people need Christ followers that are willing to enter their world. These people are messy and lost. Sometimes they don't speak and act like Christians because they are not. Uh, Jesus was willing to enter our messed up world to reach us. It would have been easy for God to be like, hey guys, as soon as you get this thing, I'll you know, figure it out and you're perfect. Come on up. No? No takers? All right. But he came down to here, to this world, this messed up where hatred runs rampant. And he said, you know what? I'm going to invest. I'm going to hang out with these people how many non-Christians would consider me a best friend? How many non-Christians would consider you a best friend? These people need Christians, Christ followers to enter their world and just become a friend. To be honest, this is something I'm failing. So I'm really feeling it. I'm a youth minister. I get to hang out with a bunch of high school students. I get to hang out with a bunch of church staff. I get to hang out with a bunch of different circles in those churches, teaching, preaching, leading, all these things. To be very honest, besides my family, my neighbors, and now my kids going to school, I get to influence those. I don't have a ton of non-Christian friends. This is something I'm working on. Chair one needs so desperately people that will invest into them. These people need Christ followers who will present the gospel clearly to them. This is hard. It's not easy to bring up the idea of, hey, did you know, God, you need Jesus. You're lost. You're messy. It's a difficult conversation to bring up. We need to be clear on what we believe and in a loving way communicate it to others. And story is the greatest thing right now, guys. You don't have to preach. And please don't be the guy on the street corner screaming at people that are going to hell. Just do me a favor. But what we can do is we can preach the gospel with our lives when we befriend people, when we love people that don't look like us, that are messy, that are challenged, we have the opportunity to live out the gospel by serving, by loving, by giving. We have the opportunity to share with our words after we've had an opportunity to share with our lives. We are challenged to build relationships with those that are on the outside and invite them to come and see. It is, your, it is not your job. It's not my job to save anybody. It's our job to reach these people and say, you know what? Come and see. Come and see my life. Come and see my story. Come and see at this church. Come and see this family. How about you just check it out? That's our job. We've been called and challenged to do that. Jesus has an encounter with a woman who is lost at a well, and this is what happens next. He runs into, he runs into her She's completely lost. She's an outsider looking, not even looking to be an insider, not even looking to figure out what Jesus is all about. But Jesus meets her where she is, has a hard conversation with her, loves her, and then challenges her to repent and believe. And this is her reaction in John 4. Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who has told me everything I've ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. She was invited to come and see. And chair one needs that desperately. Chair two. Chair two's representation uh, is a representation of a new Christian. New Christian is a difficult thing to say. That could mean you. That could mean me. That could mean we've been here a month. That means we could be here 10 years. New Christian is a very subjective term. Uh, it's an important step in and turning the page from an outsider to an insider of saying, you know what? Okay, I don't know, I, I don't know everything about Jesus. I don't get everything, but the one thing I truly get is he is the Messiah. He is a big deal, and I've got to follow after him. This step, I don't know about you, I was challenged as one of the first things to do is make a decision of obedience and get baptized. This is a huge turning of a chapter, turning of a page in our lives, when we go from outsider to insider. But again, we don't get it all. It's totally fine. Second Corinthians says this, therefore, if, you're, if, you, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation has come and the old is gone, this needs to be celebrated. This needs to be excited. We need to have high fives. We need to be running around giving birthday cakes. We just need to be excited when people go from an outsider to an insider and call Jesus their Lord. New Christians need help with the basics of Christian life, prayer, following God's will, studying the Bible, understanding the Holy Spirit, building intentional relationships with other believers. When your life so drastically changed from an outsider to an insider, a lot of things take place. And you know what they need? They need you and I to model that, to teach that, to hold hands together and do life together. If they don't learn how to feed themselves, they'll be stuck in this chair. And here's the hard part about this chair. A lot of us are in this chair. And when I say feed each other, I'm not trying to be mean, but the reality is is if if you're only spiritual endeavors or Sunday mornings, I'd be willing to bet that you're in chair two. And if you're in chair one in here this morning, congrats. If you're in chair two, congrats. But I want to challenge us to continually look at this idea of discipleship as it's a process, as it's a journey. Uh, Without a community... This uh, chair needs a community, uh, nurturing family, to model Christian values, to model what love and what forgiveness looks like. In the muffler house, um, our girls, I've got two little girls, and we live in Bloomington, and it's a great place, and I love it, and there's a lot of different ways of doing life in Bloomington. And so what the muffler's philosophy is, is, well, our family, we do this. Other families do different things. We need to make sure that what we're doing in the muffler house pleases God. That's it. It's no judgment on anybody else. But when my, when my six-year-old comes home, I'm like, well, they get to chug Mountain Dew and eat pixie, pixie sticks at 10 o'clock at night. And I'm like, well, remember, different families do different things. <laughs> so what we're trying to do in the muffler house is trying to model the values of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we're pretty good at it. Sometimes we're not. This new Christian needs help finding identity in Christ. This chair, the outsider, looks at it and says, you know what? I'm an accident. The world says I'm a mutation of cosmic gas that came together. I'm just basically one notch above the animal kingdom. How horrible is that to think? There's no purpose in that. That is just an accident waiting to happen. When we have an identity in Christ, when we flip that page, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, this whole idea of the process of discipleship, we now have a new identity. We are chosen. We are adopted. We are forgiven. We are redeemed. We are made alive. We are given the Holy Spirit. Without a clear picture, some of these Christians get stuck right here in share chair, too. The Reveal study, which was over here, not a huge stage, but that's cool. Um, the Reveal study was a book uh, that came out of Willow Creek, Bill Hybels, if you know him, I uh, know that church. They basically, a few years ago, decided, hey, how do we measure spiritual growth? It's easy to measure attendance, right? Mm-hmm. Attendance—it's easy to measure baptisms. It's easier to measure uh, measure giving. These are all numerically possible. Measuring spiritual growth is different. It's very subjective. It takes time. So basically, what they did is they polled about a thousand churches and asked hard questions. Hey, how do you see your people doing this? How do you see your people doing this? How do you see your people doing this? They say this is the largest population of the church. Almost 45 percent of the local church in America ten years ago, when the book came out, eight years ago when the book came out, are sitting in chair two. The largest portion is sitting in chair two. They've, they found a way just to kind of get stuck. These people expect to be challenged by church leaders. These people serve. Their, most of these people are here every time the doors are open. As new Christians, there's excitement, and sometimes we're not even sure what we're excited about. Well, we're just really excited about Jesus. And they are more likely to be stuck there for the longest time. This book study says, you know, in spiritual growth here, this new Christian section, it takes the longest time in this whole process. And I can, I can account to that in my life. It took me three years to get out of the second chair. Three years of God kicking me and pushing me and reminding me. It's a fantastic, wonderful time. Um, but chair three is a representation of disciples that are making disciples. And here's where we're at. Outsider, insider, and something that looks a little different. Something that you would look at and say, I think that person looks weird. What's going on there? These are the few, the proud, and the messy. John 15, 15 says this, I no longer call you servants, Jesus says, because a servant does not know the master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Can you imagine the creator of the universe looking at you and say, you're my friend. Not just a servant, not just somebody where you say, hey, you go do this, and they're like, okay, cool, and they go. He says this in John 15, 15, you are no longer servant, because servants don't get what I'm all about. At the beginning, I said Jesus is in the business of challenging seekers to repent and believe in in the salvation we find in Jesus Christ. This last chair, disciples that are making Disciples. These are the people that they know how they, they know they have a job and they have a job to do and they need to get it done. Um, I've got a buddy named Chuck. I used to work with Chuck in Phoenix. Uh, Chuck was a missionary in Taiwan for 20, 25-ish years. Now, in their culture, it was all very um, home-based, home-based churches, small groups, all that kind of stuff. And in their church culture there, and I'm I'm not saying this is our culture. I'm saying this is somewhat the opposite. That culture would only look at a person and consider them a Christian if they have discipled somebody to a salvation relationship that discipled somebody to a salvation relationship. Did you, catch, did you catch that? A spiritual grandmother or a spiritual grandfather. Not just like I had the opportunity to pray and to lead and influence somebody. I had to pray and influence somebody that was now equipped and trained to pray, influence another person. That is... Alarming, but awesome. It's amazing. Can you imagine if we here in America had that idea of it is so imperative for us to make disciples, to multiply, to get people to understand that this outside chair, that's pain, that's death. But with Jesus, this whole process of discipleship is painful still, messy still, but so rewarding, it's so amazing. Ephesians 4, 12 through 13 says this, to, uh, to equip his believers for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of fullness of Christ. The word equipped here can be translated into two different things, preparing and repairing. We are called to prepare and repair other people so that they can... Prepare and prepare other people. That's our jobs. We've been called to disciple others. As soon as we get to this chair, as soon as we get to a, a better maturity or an understanding of Jesus, we are called to multiply, to go out there. And again, not you don't need a theology, a theology degree. You don't need seminary. You don't need to stand on a stage. You just need to love your neighbor, your son, and your mother. You need to influence our coworkers. We are called to equip Repair and prepare others. This disciple maker is focused on multiplication. Jesus focuses focused on multiplication more than growth. This is the opposite of the American church right now. Our church culture says we need to be deeper. We need to have a strong foundation, and I'm not preaching against that. I am for that 100%. I just want to call attention that Jesus was a multiplier First. The disciple maker may look like your enemy. This guy, this girl right here, you might not like him because their lives are messy. Because these people are so passionate about reaching new people, God often calls them to different adventures. They hang around people that are messy, broken, and located at places that some would consider beneath them. Jesus hung out with sinners where religious people would not go, and so do these disciple makers. The process of discipleship is messy, but it kind of, if I can, put it into three little words. CPR. So we've been talking about this process, these three chairs. If you're an outsider looking in, I'm glad you're here. Listen up. We as believers of Christ need to help them, to pray for them, to stand next to them, to help them with messy lives. Number two, these are the servants. These are people that are active in church. These are people that are excited but maybe don't know a ton, but they're out there. And this disciple maker's Disciples that make disciples get messy. They look funny. They're at places you would look at and go, "Uh, I don't know if that's a good idea. You might lose your witness. They're going to be hanging out with different people. The process of discipleship is messy, but it could be looked like this CPR. Cultivate, plant, and reap. I don't like the word reap, but I couldn't find another word to send it there. Anyway, moving on. Cultivate. Building a relationship with somebody is so important. Building a friendship. If you just walk up to somebody and say, hey, hey, did you know, did you know the Rams football team is the best football team ever? 99.9% of the world will look at you and go, eh, pass. There's no influence there. You have no coins in your pocket. But if you invest, pray, and are there to serve, to give, to be a part, they're going to listen. Cultivate a relationship. It's not a mission project. It's a human being. Sometimes, as Christians, we get into this, well, I've, I've... They're a project, you know, they're messed up. It's my job to come save them. Careful of that. CPR, P, planting. Find an appropriate time to present the gospel. We are called to share God's grace. Timing is important. Be careful. Be understanding. Think through it. Pray about it. God will give us opportunities instead of just blurting out, Oh, by the way, did you know? Sometimes it catches off of God. CPR, cultivate planting and reaping. Challenge them with a response. We have the opportunity to share something that we are not in control of. God's grace. It's free. All you gotta do is take it. Let's challenge others in our lives to take that next step in their faith. Whatever it is. If it's from chair one to chair two, chair two to chair three, if it's our kids, if our coworkers, if it's our wives, it's our families, help them make a decision by challenging them to step up. My challenge for us today is that we ask the question, what chair am I sitting in today? If discipleship is a process, if it's messy and if it's painful and if it takes some time, where am I at? And what are you doing to get to the next phase? What would it look like if you were sitting in chair three? If you're sitting here, if you're a disciple maker, if you're a disciple that's making disciple, if you are influencing, if you are multiplying, how would your family look? What about your relationship with your kids? What about your coworkers? that crazy neighbor that never mows his lawn. If you are sitting in chair three, you're not any better than chair two. You're not even any better than chair one. We're all under Jesus. We are all under his authority. But guys, my challenge for you and I, especially myself, is that we can be disciples that make disciples, that we get our hands messy, that we go where no other people will go to influence and love people that need Jesus Christ. If you've got an outsider in your, in your family, in your, in your neighborhood, at your workplace, how can you influence them? How can you take the next step? Discipleship is a churchy word, but it's a fantastic word that we've been driven to, that we've been called to, that we've been challenged to continue, continue, continue the mess. And I want to pray for you guys real quick. Heavenly Father, we're, we're thankful that... Um, you just didn't stand in heaven and stare at us and say, hey, well, when, when you're perfect, you can come to me. I'll let you in the gate as soon as you get your junk together. God, thank you for allowing Jesus to come to this world to influence us, to spend time with us, to show us, to teach us, to love us, to give us great examples of forgiveness, of love when, when we wanna hate. Father, thank you for that. Help us think of one person in our lives. God, allow the Holy Spirit to lay something on our hearts, on our heads, some name, some word, somebody that we love, that we can build a relationship with, that we can encourage, that we can challenge, that we can cultivate the message of Jesus Christ. God, you are good to us, and we are grateful for the mercy and grace that we find in your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.